I'm Dr. Michael DeTola. And I'm Megan Strong. Ever wonder what my dental pet peeve is? You'll find out today in our Case of the Week. And how much would you pay for a positive review on Yelp? Find out what the going rate is on today's Chairside Live. Welcome to episode 36 of Chairside Live. Megan, how are you? Still a bit under the weather, but I'm, I'm getting better. How are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. I haven't caught it from you yet. Actually, I had it before you, so maybe I'm in the clear. We've got an interesting episode for you today. We've got a case of the week that features one of my pet peeves, and that is a double arch tray being used for a bridge. In fact, let's go ahead and take a look at that now. I was walking through the fixed department the other day and saw a case that uh, caught my eye. The first thing I noticed was this tray. This is a tray I'm not familiar with. It looks a lot like the clinician's choice quad tray extreme, except it's not rounded like it is here. It's kind of a triangle shape, but you can see that it's that same stiff type of metal. And when I try to squeeze the impression tray, even here in the back, I cannot get it to move or flex at all and so I'm a big fan of uh, if I'm going to use a disposable double arch tray I'm definitely going to use one of the metal ones like this or the clinician's choice I'm just not sure who makes this particular one um, but what I'm not going to do usually if I'm doing a double arch tray is to take an impression for a, a three unit bridge like you see here uh, the doctor has requested a material that we just recently introduced called obsidian he's going to use it for a three uh, unit bridge. This is from tooth number 11 to tooth number 13, so from the cuspid back here to the second bicuspid. And uh, the obsidian material is on par in terms of flexural strength with uh, IPS Emax. So it's got that same uh, 360 to 400 kind of megapascals of flexural strength. To me, it's almost pushing the limit to do a bridge like that with this material. It should be fine, uh, but if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it in Bruxer or um, uh, you could even consider PFM for a case like this. Uh, I think this is at the outside limits of what I would want to do with this material or with Emacs. But really the bigger issue is the fact that a double arch tray was used uh, for this three unit bridge. And as you can see, we have no other uh, teeth posterior to that last prep. And in fact, we don't see many teeth represented anterior uh, to where the cuspid has been prepared. And that's kind of a problem. So if we look at the model work for this particular case, you're going to notice that we, we can see the preps pretty well. And they're actually fairly clean preparations. You know, as we look down on it from here, we can see that um, we are underprepared probably on the lingual surface here. This happens a lot where we go in and uh, the side of the tooth that faces away from us, it's a little more difficult to get as much reduction as we can here. Uh, on the buckle. So really when you look at this prep alone with kind of the minimal reduction that was done there, that kind of screams Bruxer as well. Um, in fact, if I was the technician in charge of this case, I would look at this and I might call the doctor and say, is there any way we can do Bruxer uh, instead of obsidian because we've got some really thin kind of feather edge margins, some very straight up and down walls. And if we make it an obsidian, we're going to have to make it bulkier. And uh, the obsidian material, uh, like Emacs, does not like feather edge margins. Looking at the cuspid prep here, that looks pretty good. That appears to be reduced enough on the lingual. We have that nice concave shape. Again, the margins are a little thin for a material like this, but really the issue comes down to the fact that it was taken in the double arch tray. So let's occlude this model, and we're going to see what we have here. We've actually got you know, the two preps across from the uh, opposing arch and then literally a third 
of the tooth in front of the cuspid. So just, we're seeing just a tiny, tiny little portion of this lateral incisor in front of this. And as you might imagine, it's gonna make it really difficult to get good function on this bridge. Uh, the doctor did send us a uh, bite registration that I'll go ahead and put in here now. I'm not sure, perhaps he was not confident with, um, with the bite as registered in the double arch strand. I'll close the model down into the bite registration and the pins all the way down. So you can see that appears to be mounted accurately. But if I open this up and take the bite registration out and we'll close it again and I'll just rotate the models around, we can see some space between that lateral incisor and the lower tooth. That space right along in here. And so it makes me wonder when I look at it if in fact the patient is closed down all the way at this point but you can see that with just nothing else besides the bridge articulating against the opposing model, it's gonna be really difficult to go in here and try to get any kind of function, go into any kind of protrusive or anything else. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we get so excited here at the lab about saying, boy, if you're gonna do a three unit bridge or more than two single crowns adjacent next to each other, please take uh, full arch impressions, you know, upper and lower, because you can imagine how much easier it would be for our technicians to dial in everything. If we had the arch coming all the way over the side, we could verify the occlusion on the contralateral side, and then we could also probably take this, uh, take this uh, set of models through the different excursions and make sure that when you uh, put this bridge into place, you're not going to be uh, bumping into the bridge or anything like that. So. Those are my two suggestions for this case. The, the first one is anytime we're doing a bridge, whether it's just a little three unit bridge or say a big six unit bridge, we're gonna wanna do full arch impressions, upper and lower with a separate bite registration. And my second suggestion would be when we do have a minimally prepped case like this, even though we might wanna go with something that um, on the surface might be a little more aesthetic like obsidian, if we're gonna do minimal uh, preparation like this, this is the case that's gonna call for Bruxer because Bruxer's really the only tooth color material that's gonna be able to handle that kind of conservative preparation and those feather edge margins. Well, thank you for that, Dr. D. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to a segment we like to call Viewer Mail. This week's viewer mail comes to us from Dr. Bracken, and Dr. Bracken writes, Dear Dr. Detola, I just finished watching episode 7 of Chairside Live and really enjoyed the case of the week. It made me wonder, is it best to take bite registration before prep in a case like this? Also, for a single unit, is it best to take bite registration before prepping, or does that not matter? Well, Dr. Bracken, that's a good question. I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, uh, Megan, let alone what was on uh, Chairside Live's Case of the Week, Episode 7. So I did uh, go back and watch it and pulled a couple of images. And it was actually a case where there was a difference. Again, it was a bridge that was taken with a double arch tray, my pet peeve. And um, one impression was taken in a double arch tray. And when we looked at it, it looked like we had no occlusal clearance. Uh, especially on the distal abutment. And then when the doctor took a full arch impression for us on the upper and lower with the bite registration, uh, we got an accurate bite and we could clearly see that there was in fact uh, enough room on these preparations. So there was some overclosure uh, on the double arch tray. And so Dr. Bracken is asking um, whether or not you should take the bite registration ahead of time. Really the only time that I take bite registrations ahead of time as if I'm doing a, a full arch case, for example, and I don't wanna lose uh, the vertical. But even in a case like that, I'm gonna do that with biotemps, three sections of biotemps, and we've got a couple videotapes that 
uh, or online presentations that detail uh, how to do that, and I'm going to maintain my vertical that way. But otherwise, we never really want a byte registration that's taking uh, prior to preparation. Uh, we're going to want to take the byte registration once prepping's all done. And in the case of where you've got other unprepared teeth in the arch, it's much easier to prep the teeth, squirt a little bite registration onto the occlusal third of the prep, and then have the patient close down into it, and then verify on the other side of the mouth that they're actually in maximum intercuspation. And so we don't really see any reason to take a bite registration ahead of time. But keep in mind, we don't want the bite registration onto the soft tissue. We just want it on the occlusal third of the prep, and really just the occlusal third of the opposing tooth as well. We don't need a full quadrant of bite registration. We certainly don't need a whole arch of bite registration. Just on the prepared teeth, the occlusal third, and then on the opposing teeth. And since that's the bite re registration that we really want, there's really no way to do that prior to preparation. So go ahead and just do it after preparation. And if you're going to do something like a three unit or a four unit bridge uh, unilaterally, make sure you take a full arch impression because as we saw uh, in that case of the week and even on today's case of the week, if you use a double arch tray, you're just not gonna get enough of the unprepared teeth on there so that we can make you a bridge that's gonna work well uh, in function and when we take it out into the excursion. So thank you very much for the uh, question, Dr. Bracken. I hope that clears that up a little bit. If not, please feel free to send me an email. And Megan, Dr. Bracken was nice enough to write in and was chosen as the question of the week on Chairside Live. Uh, I have the slightest idea what Dr. Bracken's gonna win. Well, what's on everyone's wish list? Hello. Oh, the autographed picture right. of the both of us. That's yes. uh, that's fantastic. Us looking both uh, radiant, especially me. And uh, I'm glad to say it's just the light shining off my head. It's nothing else. But um, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Bracton. We'll make sure this is in the mail on its way out to you right now. Now let's go ahead and hear from Megan in the news. As we reported in an earlier episode of Chairside Live, there has been some serious controversy over attempts to control online ratings of businesses, even dental practices, on sites like Yelp. Well, so it continues. A Los Angeles area dentist recently paid a patient $100 to remove his negative review on Yelp. Apparently, the dentist was upset because the negative review was hurting his five-star positive rating on the site. After paying the patient to remove it, the dentist asked him if he could pay him another $100 to write a positive review, and the patient agreed. Yelp says it is trying to combat the growing problem of businesses paying customers for reviews. That's interesting. Right. That's, uh, you knew it might come to this where people were, were offering money, and the sure. dentist... Uh, um, obviously, I guess that's some sort of customer service to say I'll give you $100 to take down that negative re review. Right, but it's just surprising because it's one review. And it, when I go on and I read the reviews maybe of a restaurant or a hotel, if there's, I'm, I expect to see some negative reviews. Right. And so to, to try and pay everyone off is just, it doesn't make sense. Well, and yeah, it, it kind of doesn't seem right uh, because of the fact that uh, the, the customer was, or the patient in this case, was disappointed pointed with uh, the experience and then to give them $100 to uh, change their mind about right. what really happened. But a lot of times in dentistry, it does come down to like giving the money back. I mean, there's times where mm. you do a filling on somebody and you, you try it and you try it, it's just not working. And, and sometimes they decide to leave, you know, and go somewhere right. else uh, to another dentist. And it's just so much easier sometimes just to refund that money. Mm. Even though you put in a lot of hard work and tried to do it right, it's easier just to give them the money and have them go away with hopefully nothing bad to say about you. And right. they'll just kind of go, well, that was it. And so it's kind of like that, I think. But I could see 
Yelp freaking out mm -hmm. that this is going to start ruining everything. And I'm surprised there's not specific businesses now where you can just give them a couple thousand dollars sure. and before you know it, you've got, and maybe there are, you have 10, you know, five-star reviews for right. your dental practice or something Possibly. like that. Possibly. Anything else? Yes. We know that wisdom teeth usually begin to grow in one's teenage years, but an older woman recently surprised her dentist at a routine checkup. At first, the dentist could not believe his eyes, but he did confirm that the 75-year-old did indeed have a sprouting wisdom tooth. It was not causing any discomfort, so they decided to just let it be. The oldest documented wisdom tooth growth was in an 84-year-old New Zealand man. Well, I'm getting ready to celebrate uh, my 25-year uh, reunion at dental school. So I've been doing this for 25 years, and I've never seen a woman in their 70s have a wisdom tooth grow in her mouth before. It really is uh, pretty remarkable. They're supposed to come in. My understanding is that wisdom teeth are called wisdom teeth because they usually come in during your college years, that's somewhere when, from... That's when I had mine. Yeah, 18 yeah. to 21. And your bone is still soft, but the older you get, the more brittle your bone gets. Sure. And, and the idea that one of these teeth could kind of push its way through and mm -hmm. erupt into her mouth at that advanced age um, is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and without any other explanation, I'm going to blame the hormones in milk or the growth hormones in bacon or something like that for yeah, one sure. of these strange occurrences that mm -hmm. I can't quite make any sense of. Megan, thank you. Nice investigative reporting. Well, that'll about wrap it up for this week's edition of Chairside Live. On behalf of myself, Megan, and everybody here at the laboratory, I want to thank you for your time and your continued commitment to quality dentistry. We'll see you next time. Megan, you're not even a dentist, and you know not even to take a bridge impression in a double arch tray, correct? Never. See? Hey, well, <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know where I thought that was going to go. I didn't either. There has been some serious controversy over attempts to control...